You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. We watched every movie last year. We rated every kiss and every tear. We saw Tom Cruise sucking blood. Meg Ryan hit the booze. We saw 13 with you meant. And 7 by John Hughes. The critic is a mystery. No one knows what he thinks. Except for Jay Sherman. Who always says... It stinks! <gasps> <laughs> How awkward. Hello and welcome to Shermometer, Critiquing the Critic. This is a podcast that looks at the 90s animated series, The Critic, which starred John Lovitz. But in this very first episode, which I like to call episode zero, we're going to look at what drew us to the cartoon The Critic in the first place, why we're doing a show about it, and then we're going to do a dry run at um, the, the segments we'll have at the end of each episode, Movie Reference and It Stinks. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is my co-host, William Thrasher. Hello, everybody. It is great to be back in the podcast sphere zone. Yes, it's been uh, almost a year, I think, to the date <laughs> in which uh, I put uh, the sequel cast, my former show, um, in a bag with some kitties and tossed it down a well and, uh, you know, is ready to, to do podcast stuff again the the rumors uh, aren't true we weren't canceled by the same executives who canceled firefly or the same executives that canceled the critic twice (laughs) um three times if you count the internet executives sure at (laughs) shockwave.com how can we forget yeah so i mean the critic i'm looking this from the uh, wikipedia page i assume this is correct this is how i do all my research it was first uh, on abc in 94 and then uh, second season was on Fox in 95. I mean, that's pretty unusual right there to have a show pick up an animated show nonetheless, you know, start on one um, network and, and end up on another one. And then, you know, um, about half a decade later, it popped up on uh, for some an online season. And, yeah, I mean, I saw the, the critic in its original run. It's created by Al Jean and Mike Rice, uh, who worked with The Simpsons together. And they decided to do something specifically for the talents of um, John Lovitz. I was listening to one of the commentaries, and and they mentioned that they wanted to do the opposite of what The Simpsons was, and all to their detriment, as it turned out, (laughs) in terms of the ratings and everything. But um, when did you first see The Critic? Uh, I first saw The Critic when it premiered. I and I was fortunate enough to see the entire original run uh, when it originally aired. Uh, it came out at a, at a great time because The Simpsons was at its height. Uh, I was super excited to see another show by some of the creative staff of The Simpsons. And uh, the year before is when I really finally discovered uh, SNL as a comedy fan. So by the time this was ready to come out, I was very well versed in John Lovitz and his comic persona through uh, SNL, re- uh, both SNL reruns uh, of his episodes, and I believe, uh, I believe I had finally started watching the series late at night and had caught his last season live. Yeah, I mean, I, I recall hearing about it in, um, I lived in Atlanta at the time, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the big paper down there, had their own version of TV Guide they'd publish every Sunday, kind of like the bigger papers would. And 
what happened is they um, were doing a preview of new stuff coming out the this uh, coming fall season for 94. And they mentioned the critic and they, they gave it a pan despite never having seen a review copy of the show. <laughs> they were just like a cartoon about a critic starring John Lovitz. This will be good. Like you could tell whoever wrote it was very sarcastic. And then that person and, went on to create Buzzfeed. Yeah. I mean, like I was, I knew who John Lovitz was, but I don't think it was from Saturday night live. I think it was from his, uh, memorable supporting part in a league of their own. That um, baseball movie with Tom Hanks, Madonna, and Gina Davis, and I believe Rosie O'Donnell is in that as well. Yes, yep, she was. Like it. And it had his immortal his immortal line reading, well, that would be more, wouldn't it? Yes. he's. You know, I recall he's just mainly in the beginning of the film, but he's quite quite good as the uh, one of the recruiters or something. Oh, and um, listeners, if you like bad John Lovitz impersonations, this podcast will be a tour de force. Has we got, have we got a treat for you, gentle listeners? Yeah, so I got into movie reviews with a, a product. I, I, it's not even a game. I, I guess it's like a, an ebook on CD-ROM called Microsoft Cinemania '94, and this had um, you know the entire Roger Ebert home video encyclopedia, which was a collection of his reviews. It had Pauline Kael's um, "5001 Nights at the Movies," a, a, a limited selection of her reviews over her uh, illustrious career. And it had, uh, like, the movie encyclopedia. It had pictures from a lot of the movies, even, like, super grainy QuickTime video clips for for some of them. Cool. And, and, and that, you know, and this was either around the same time of Internet Movie Database or, like, right before, but you could look and see, oh, wow, you know, I like Tim Burton, and, oh, he did this early uh, obscure direct-to-video TV movie called Frankenweenie. Maybe I'll go to the Blockbuster Video back when they had rental stores, you know, and uh, and go get that. Um, so I think, you know, that the sort of connecting the dots mentality of following your favorite, you know, director, actor, what have you, uh, made uh, movie criticism uh, fun to read. And I actually did some amateur, amateur reviews on the uh, movie reviews uh, news group, rec.arts.movie.reviews or whatever it was uh, when I was like 13. I, I described stuff as being zapped a lot in those reviews. I'll have to post a link to it on the Facebook page. Um, did you read movie reviews at all when you watched The Critic, or did you know it more like from The Simpsons? Was that well? I mean, the the fact that that uh, the that Simps- two of the Simpsons uh, producers were involved in this really did help uh, bring me over. I I was not really into movie reviews at the time, but that was also around the time I've I've always been well versed in a lot of uh, science fiction movies, but. Uh, the Critic came out about a year and a half after my mother had introduced me to the Marx Brothers and a lot of classic uh, black and white comedies, uh, you know, Some uh. Like It Hot, Bringing Up Baby, things like that. And so this came around the time that I was starting to get truly film literate, uh, which I think helped because I spotted a, a lot more of the, the classic film references uh, and got a lot more of the Woody Allen jokes uh, because my... Uh, my education in film had begun at this point. Right. I mean, that's one thing the critic did so well is that it, it did movie references that were both topical, but also classic. Um, and, and you had to really know a lot of different movies to try and catch every reference uh, in the show. Well, they're also, they're, I think it, they weren't lame references. Uh, lame reference humor has really taken off and stagnated simultaneously in, in this, our, our strange modern age but the critic was so clever with its references. They didn't. They didn't just say, "Hey, remember this." They tried to spin interesting jokes off of the reference. Jokes and comedy. what was the joke? 
what was the joke on South Park? The manatee method of doing jokes. Oh yeah, you, you just have... arrange you just arrange <laughs> balls with the names of things you recognize. So you get Chipotle, Mister T, water slide. I pity the fool who serves me Chipotle on a water slide. Exactly, yeah, and set up and a punchline all in one. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, but yeah, no. In the critic, it makes sense when they do that because it's a film critic reviewing a movie so they cut away to like a, a one minute parody of the movie or 30 seconds or whatever it is but then he and also it goes right back to the main story but then he also lives in a world made of movie parodies where at any given moment a movie parody might break out in his real life and you also had real life film critics often playing themselves on the show i i was really surprised to see that gene shallot played himself that was so cool yeah, though, gene shallot yeah. uh, rex reed and of course most most famously uh, uh siskel and gene Siskel and Ebert, yeah. Definitely. Or Siskel, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, that's right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's one thing about The Critic that made me get back into it was the DVD release. You know, Sony owned the home video rights for The Critic, even though it aired on these two other networks when it was on TV. It never made enough episodes to get, you know, the magic 100 episodes to do syndication or whatever. Although I recall Comedy Central... Uh, would would do repeats of the critic? Yeah, Comedy Central played late at night reruns of the critic for I think almost three years. Yeah, uh, so I mean that that built up uh, awareness to the show, it, and there wasn't like a VHS release as far as I know, but no, we no, eventually did was. get a DVD release in uh, 2005, and it was a title that kept on showing up every year. Sony would do a a poll to its. Um, favorite customers i guess and say which of these tv shows would you like to see us release on dvd and the critic was always on there and when it finally came out i understand it did pretty well i think it had like four or five printings uh on dvd and um it's a pretty cheap set i got mine for less than 10 bucks because i accidentally sold mine a few years ago (laughs) well so Um, so really who knows how much you paid because you paid twice i I paid retail price when it came out which i believe was like 29.99 sounds standard a decade later, I paid, you know, 10 bucks. So, and it's the whole series. It's the web series episodes on there, which is sort of nice. I wasn't expecting that. Not as many commentaries as the Simpsons uh, DVDs, which has a commentary for each episode. Yeah, that's, that's the one downside of the DVD release. The, the Critic is the type of show that the DVD release really could have benefited from an audio commentary on every episode. There is so much to talk about, although I am very grateful for the commentaries we got. Yeah, uh, they never did a high-definition release of The Critic, but, I mean, it, I, I sort of wondered. I don't think it's the kind of show where they put a huge budget into it. It's not like a Star Trek or something. Um, well, to keep, keep it in mind, though, Star Trek didn't necessarily have the biggest budget either. But with, with no. The Critic, you see everything on screen. I mean, it is, it, the animation is right out the gate. Very, very well done. Yes, I mean, one thing we'll be talking about on, on the show as we go on is uh, the difference in character designs between season one and two. I mean, they did kind of a soft reboot when it came to Fox. Um, and, and in some ways, literally, they softened up the characters a bit. They look more cute and cuddly, one could argue disturbing. <laughs> yeah, that that Jay Sherman does have something of a fetal quality about him. Yeah, he had sort of like a flat head in season one, and it got every, everything was a lot more rounded. Um in season two. And so even to the point of like characters that, you know, didn't really need a whole design change, got a, got a pretty big makeover. It's, um, it's not as radical as say like the Simpsons from the Tracy Ullman show to the, uh, animated series. 
but it's still very, very noticeable. You can recognize the characters, but like they've all had a a, a weird like Disney facelift, I guess. I wouldn't go so far as to call it Disney, but they are they are approaching the cuter side of Hanna Barbera with the redesigns. I just think Disney, I guess, with the big round eyes. Um, but you know, it's not like the voice cast really changed in season two. But we'll get to that as it goes on. So let's uh, launch into this topic. You know, how is uh, this podcast, Shermometer, critiquing the critic going to uh, come out? It's going to come out weekly, and it's uh, we're going to do one episode of the podcast per episode of the show. This is going to be a limited-run podcast. Um, but once a month, we're going to do a special episodes that might focus on an actor or a bigger topic at large. It might talk about film parodies, might focus on John Lovitz, Charles Napier, Doris Grau, or some other significant actor from the series. Yeah, Maurice LaMarche. Yeah, definitely. Um and I plan on having guests on the show sometimes. I, uh, you know, I mentioned some. If you go to the the Indiegogo campaign, which you can't contribute to anymore, I have um, lined up as tentative guests. I have uh, Al Jean, the co-creator of the Critic, uh, Scott Weinberg, who writes for uh, the Nerdist and Playboy, Matt Curioni, who founded Pixels and Reels, which is a popular Facebook group, and he writes for We Talk Movies, and Alex Miller, who um, wrote for Battleship uh, Pretension. So I plan on having uh, those fellows um, unless, like, on for a show unless scheduling issues come up, but I'll, I will do my best. We may, and we'll, also, yes. say we may also have a special appearance from another one of our uh, sequel cast uh, contributors, Georgia Jason. Yes, that would be absolutely sure. Um, you know, the I don't want to have a, a guest like every episode, maybe one guest a month I think would be good. So altogether, you know, it's going to be a 33-episode run with normal episodes that cover the critic episode by episode and the special ones that I just mentioned. Uh, as far as the web series, we're not going to do an episode per episode of the web series because those are like like three minutes a piece. <laughs> but we might, ha- we might split that into two different episodes maybe. It's been a while since I've seen those. You know, those are um, so, so short. We could do a special episode that's just an audio commentary of those shorts one right after the other. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's true. Um, I mean, like I think the cr- the uh, credits for the web series of the critic is longer than each episode. <laughs> it, it's something annoying with when they put it on the DVD. They literally have you know a short episode, the the title sequence, much abbreviated, the episode, and then the credits, and then the title sequence, the episode, and the credits. While it's faithful to how this appeared on uh, Shockwave dot com. It's really annoying if you're sitting down and watching it. I, I wish they would have re-edited it so it would have just been a marathon of those web series episodes. Um, but say la vie, say la vie. Uh, any other thing about the critic uh, you want to talk about before we try tackling some of our uh, segments on the show? Uh, no, only that, and we will, of course, you know, talk about this more. Uh, but that it is when when the Simpsons became big. Uh, so many networks jumped on the bandwagon and tried to create new primetime animated shows to compete with the critic. Uh, and of all the shows that came out of that period, not only is the critic the best, it's the only one that I think anyone remembers. Uh, every now and then you'll find somebody who remembers that Fish Police existed, but they don't remember anything <laughs> about it. But when you say the critic, uh, even if the person doesn't have any specific memories of the show, their eyes will light up and they'll go, oh yeah, the critic, I remember that. And there's a kind of fondness yeah, you know, in their it, voice. 
Uh-huh. It wasn't until a few years later where um, primetime animated shows tended to have a bit more success with, um, you know, King of the Hill was on for a while, and then, of course, Futurama. Um, so there you have it. But we're talking about, you know, going to be talking about the critics. So next week we're going to talk about the uh, season one, episode one, and, and so on. We're going to go in the order of the episodes as they're listed on the DVD, which is um, not necessarily the same as broadcast order, but it's the producer's preferred order, and it's pretty close. I think there, there, there's maybe a few episodes that are flopped around from season one, um, as opposed to broadcast order. But I'm, I really don't think broadcast order matters so much. It's easier to do it as it's presented on the DVD. It's not like the critic had a big ongoing story arc, um, with the exception, I think, of perhaps uh, the romantic stuff in season two was trying to tell a bigger story. So let's uh, let's go on to our segments. Um, one which I don't have a name for, but I better think of one pretty quickly, <laughs> is What the Hell Are They Doing Now? Uh, it, that's a very rough title. I bet we're going to change that. Yeah, it's sort of talking about what the cast of The Critic is uh, doing right now. And, and the one thing in the news that jumped out to me is, um, you know the show The Apprentice? I I know it, much to my regret. Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual formats to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along and play! Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO and Editor-in-Chief over at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Yeah, so Donald Trump was was the host in The Apprentice for several seasons, and now because of his uh, what looks like his presidential campaign, if the, the primaries on Super Tuesday um, go the way they are. I'm not going to get into politics, but Yeah, I don't want anyway. this to be a weird time capsule of an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, now because of that, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the host, and on this uh, new season, which starts this fall, John Lovitz is going to be one of the people in the cast. Because he will never turn down a paycheck. I guess not. I can't imagine he'll last very long, and I'm not uh, bashing John Lovitz by saying that. I just don't... <laughs> I, I, I don't. There's something about John Lovitz that people either really like or really annoyed by. Well, I feel like it, when he gets fired, he'll go, "No, you're fired, and thanks for nothing." <laughs> and then he'll just kind of strut out of the room. <laughs> yeah, I saw a great clip of John Lovitz being interviewed by Jiminy Glick uh, from that uh, Comedy Central series. <laughs> no, John, and... why don't you tell us about your time with The Apprentice? Let me have a donut first. And then he takes a donut and starts eating it, and then uh, Marty Glick starts to fall asleep and snore. It's um, it, it, it's pretty good. Any of that Jiminy Glick stuff is good. But that's one thing I noticed in the news about John Lovitz recently. Um, so there you go. There's also been he's been talking a little bit about he'd love to do the critic again. Um, I, I I don't know if that's gonna happen, but it wouldn't be out of the question i think if it would like they would do a kickstarter maybe or something to gauge interest yeah, I, I could see that I, I could see it i could see it maybe get revived on comedy central or possibly on the cartoon network could also be tbs recall tbs um financed the uh last season or two of american dad so 
you know, actually, in other critic cast news, uh, Charles Napier's grave has still not been defiled by grave robbers, so we can all be thankful for that. Very good. Next segment. Movie reference. What are What's one of your favorite movie references from the critic? I mean, when we actually talk about the episodes, we're going to make this, you know, more germane to what we're speaking about. But the critic, as you would noted, is quite famous for its uh, movie spoofs and everything. Well, so what is one that sticks out to you? It's like, oh boy, that's a real funny one, or that's real clever. Well, one of the ones that really always jumped out to me, and it's one of those movie references where now when I rewatch this episode, this may even be the, in the first episode, it just strikes me as, as resonating more and more and being more true, is when... Uh, Jay takes his son Marty and his date Carmen to the movies and it's all bad movies then he sees that they're going to be showing uh, The Red Balloon which is an amazing <laughs> French movie which I saw I saw when I was six years old and I, it was just a perfect age to see it and it left a big impression on me so I was I was delighted that they were making a reference to this French movie from my childhood uh, and then I was also delighted the next day when my handful of friends who had watched the critic didn't get that reference, and I had to explain it to them. And I, I, I like, I like being perspicacious. Um, but then the even better is when they spin it off into that hardcore action sequel, Red Balloon Two, like Balloons Revenge, and they have the Hans Gruber type villain. <laughs> They're all making terrible quips, and it's just this perfect overblown sequel. I. I love that. I love where that film parody goes. Yeah, it's it's unexpected, but you know the, I mean the, the vocal cast, uh, Maurice LaMarche most um, notably, uh, but there are also some other ones in there. I, I I believe they got paid per character they played, so they could do a lot of imitations, and they yeah. might get like twenty separate characters per episode uh, or something. One and, more um, step, and the red balloon becomes the dead balloon. Yeah, so I mean, in that joke you're talking about, not only does the character, is he drawn to look like Hans Gruber, but he sounds just like him. The way the cinematography is, the shot composition goes from this uh, pastoral French film about a balloon bopping about the city to more, you know, close-ups and action music and that sort of thing. So, I mean, that that's a very good one. Um, the, the one that's been sticking in my mind lately, I've been uh, going through the DVDs, capturing images to put on our Twitter feed and, and Facebook uh, page and... Uh, I'll give the links to those at the end of the show is um, they, you know, Disney had, was on a fairy tale kick for a while. I guess you can say they still are. Cause like frozen is based on a Hans Christian Anderson uh, piece. And um, they were doing, you know, beauty and the beast Aladdin. And they did, Oh, this would be funny if Disney did a hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> and that's exactly what Disney really did a few years later. Um, but, but the, the version of the critic is um, more comedic and less, Less tragic. Uh, there's a good sight gag where the hunchback opens up his hump and takes out a full baguette <laughs> and, a, and a wine bottle and a, a everything you need for a picnic. Well, what's great is that that not only works as a as a film reference to the classic Hunchback of Notre Dame uh, and a prescient reference to what would become Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame but it's also a perfect send-up of Andrew Lloyd Webber. They do the same kind of musical numbers, they do the same kind of gimmicks, they do the same kind of roller skating on stage. Oh, man, what was that Andrew Lloyd Webber show where it was on roller skates? Uh, Starlight Express. Starlight Express, yeah. There was a good episode of the Goldbergs where they try to do a high school production of uh, Starlight Express and everyone breaks their ankle in rehearsal. Oh, um, man. Very funny stuff. 
so yeah, that's that's what I would think is a memorable movie reference. But the show has so many of them, and uh, you know, when we actually get talking about the show as proper, starting next episode, we'll make this you know more specific. And uh, much like uh, my previous podcast, the sequel cast, and if you've been listening to me longer than that, like the Super Cooper Trooper show, which was on video game music way back in 2005, 2006. Slycast. Um, Slycast, yeah, three episodes about Stallone, uh, who did not win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. That was a big upset in the Oscars last oh, night. Oh, yeah. Instead, it went to uh, a guy that was in Bridge of Spies, a, a British uh, theater actor, I believe. Um Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's go into the last segment of the show. It stinks. So what's the last bad movie you've seen? It could be a movie that was badly reviewed that you enjoyed, or maybe it talks about bad movies, or, you know, I'm uh, the term bad is relative here, but it's just to make it tie into the critic phrase, it stinks. Now, this was, this was last month, I think, and I may, be, I may be getting the title wrong, but you recall a uh, recently released horror movie, I think, called The Forest? Or The Woods? Oh, um, I'm going to confirm that title uh, really quick, but it, it's in Japan, yes? Yeah, it's it's this horror movie that is... So there, there is an actual forest in Japan that it's known for a record number of suicides have happened there, and so this movie is set in that forest. There's a woman, it's called the forest. Yeah, the forest, yes. and it's about it's about a, a woman. Her her sister went to Japan to teach English, and she vanished. And the last letter she got from her sister would, or phone call or something, or email, would suggest that she was going to this forest. So the other sister travels to Japan uh, to try to find her sister and hopefully save her uh, from taking her own life. And this movie's awful. It doesn't know what kind of horror it's supposed to be. Characters are, their attitudes are constantly changing based around how the director wants you to be scared at that time with no regard for who these characters are actually supposed to be. Lots of people behaving stupid because the horror movie requires them to behave in a needlessly stupid uh, manner. Uh, Lots of bad jump scares, uh, an inability to decide whether there's real supernatural forces at work or whether characters are going crazy. Um, And then, you know, on, on top of all this, it really, it has this amazing exotic locale that it just doesn't do anything interesting with uh to the point and 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 just like lots of like weird casting like the the male lead in the movie because of course they're not going to make the male lead a japanese guy heaven forbid the male lead is played by an american actor but he's playing a person from australia but he's not australian does he try to do an uh, Australian accent? No, no, he, he's an American that lives in Australia who's on assignment in Japan. He has a very convoluted oh, backstory. <laughs> that is convoluted. That scene um, that I feel like is only there to justify his uh, acting choice. Also, you can, uh, the, like, the, the it's almost like every seven minutes there's a, there's a improbable Japanese stereotype. Uh, do you have the the Japanese people coming out of the woodwork taking photos with their advanced Sony cameras? There, there is 
a thing kind of like that when she's in when she's in the taxi cab being driven from the airport to her hotel uh and it's just this montage of this strange alien place japan that she's come to and it's just every time the, the camera looks at the cab window there's some like a harajuku girl or uh salaryman uh or uh soap parlor uh neon signs but the, the the one that really really gets me is that she goes to a she she goes to a rest a, a restaurant a sushi restaurant and orders sushi and it is then horrified when she discovers that sushi is raw fish except the sushi she's given isn't sushi that actually exists she is given just a flat out raw whole lobster tail and a fish's severed head that's still alive <laughs> that's her meal uh I, that's a shame, you know, from the way you're describing it in the beginning. That sounds like uh, that's a potentially neat concept for a, a horror film. And and with the, the Japanese setting makes it uh, somewhat unique, at least for Western audiences. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking a bit there was a bit of that J-horror uh, remake uh, trend in the early 2000s with uh, The Ring. And The Grudge. And, um, and The Grudge, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's too bad. Um, yeah, it's something I saw, and it's a good documentary about a company that made a lot of really bad movies is, uh, I saw it on Netflix streaming. It's Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of the canon film. Oh, I've seen that too. I absolutely love that documentary. Yeah, I mean, not only is it a good, they have a lot of fun clips from trailers and uh, and stuff that canon films made. I, I did not realize exactly how many films they made per year compared to a, a normal movie studio. Oh, they cranked them out. They did. I mean, you know, if you don't know what Canon Films is, some of their better known films is they produced Death Wish 2, 3, and 4. Um, you know, uh, part of what made them go out of business is they tried to get more, uh, they wanted to compete more with the big boys and, and did more expensive um, productions. They they did, uh, helped with Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, yep. and uh, The Masters of the Universe, the He-Man movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bolero was a film they had some involvement with. Yeah. Um, uh, Bo um, Derek picture and yeah I mean it, they do a great job of, of summarizing everything and I think what's funny at the end is as the kicker uh, the what is it the Globus brothers is that right well they, they weren't they weren't brothers or, it was uh, oh, Manheim business Golan partners. and uh, Hiram Globus I think was the name yeah they're Israeli business partners um, they had a big falling out and did had separate companies for a while but they got together to make their own documentary just to compete with this one and it came out before this one did and it's um, much more positive in their portrayal go 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 uh, this go one, boys i think is what it's called yeah the go go boys and uh it I, I i wouldn't mind seeing that one but i mean this one you have richard chamberlain being pretty blunt about the um oh what was the uh the films he did with sharon stone or Indiana Jones knockoffs. Was it was that Romancing the Stone or uh No, no, no. That King was uh, Romancing the Stone is the Michael D- King Solomon's Mines, yes. And oh, um, oh yeah, with Cassandra Peterson, TV's Elvira as the main villain. That's right. Yeah, it was um King Solomon's Mind and then it was followed up by Alan Quartermain and The Lost City of Gold. So there you have it. And um I think a lot of these movies ended up being, you know, you can get it were released by it through MGM because they had a production deal. Um, the the title Electric Boogaloo is a reference to Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo, 
which you always see quoted in reviews about movie sequels. They'll like say like at least it's not called Electric Boogaloo or something like that. Yeah, that's the um, that's the go-to when you have a joke sequel title is to just make it title to Electric Boogaloo. I think my favorite part in the whole documentary is they talk about when the uh the the founders of Canon Films break up. They have competing films about the lambada, <laughs> like a, a sexy romantic dance. And and each one is more uh, they also uh, have a fun time talking about the American Ninja films. Oh yeah. And, and the the one I really want to see is the third one where the instead of a hero it's a heroine. And it, it, they describe it as a combination of a, a ninja movie, The Exorcist, and Flashdance. Um, it sounds quite uh, irresistible, frankly. Um, but yeah, I think Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films, is a good, fun, uh, frank documentary about a, um, a production company, Canon Films, that, that made a lot of cheap uh, crap but I think also they they, as they said, you know, we're not in the interest in the business of making movies. We just want to make movies, and they certainly did that. You know, their their enthusiasm I think is quite admirable. Yeah, and and one thing you know, as as bad as a lot of those movies are, one thing I do have to respect them for is giving a lot of directors and screenwriters way more creative control than they would have in any major studio film. That's right, and I think you know they must have paid the actors okay because you have some well-known actors in these different productions they did um so there you go hope you've enjoyed this episode zero of shermometer <laughs> critiquing the critic uh, best way to um, follow us is on twitter at critic podcast also check out the facebook page facebook.com slash the critic podcast and uh if we're not on itunes by the time you're listening to this we uh, should be working on that um and a special thanks to Sean Franson. Very special thanks to Peter Monks. So those are two individuals that donated um, at the levels we required to get your thanks or whatever uh, on the Indiegogo campaign. You might be wondering, how can I contribute money? I didn't get a chance to, to chip into the Indiegogo campaign. I'm working on that. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'll probably do a Patreon or something, but that's not up quite yet. So again, the websites are facebook.com slash Podcast. And follow uh, us on Twitter at Critic Podcast. Be sure and send us, you know, your memories of the critic. When did you first uh, see the show? What are some of your favorite episodes? Is there a quote from the critic that just makes you crack up even when you think about it? Full of leafy goodness and green penis. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. The cowboy way a while? No way, a bow wow dog from Hollywood. Yeah, that's something we're also going to have to talk <laughs> about. This show is endlessly quotable. And I have been quoting it to this day. <laughs> Excellent. Any last thing you want to say, Thrasher? Uh, only, uh, only this. The show's over, sir. You're going to have to leave the theater. Were my pits too ripe? That wasn't even a good John Lovitz. <laughs> I wasn't sure who you were trying to do. <laughs> Yeah, it you know it, it it in my head it was John Lovitz, but then it came out much deeper. It was no uh, Shucky Spielboig. Who, who oh, what, we got him on the line real quick for sequel cast. Oh, he's fan. calling in. Hey, Shucky, H- how you doing? Yeah, it's great. So, uh, are you a fan of the critic? Uh you know when the cartoon came out, the critic, I thought, gee, I better compete with this. This is such a good idea. 
So I made a show called The Critics. Put an S at the end. Pretty sneaky. And it's about a guy and his twin brother, and they love movies, and they just yell at him. They're not professionals. They just do this on the couch while their mother is cooking them a nice Italian dinner, saying, Ma, uh, little boy don't get up from the couch. It's uh, And they're twin brothers, so we only have to hire one actor, you see. They're never in the shot at the same time. Uh, one one has a, a striped T-shirt. The other has polka dots. So, so you did and, a whole Paddy Duke thing uh, to double them up on screen. That's right. It's called Movie Magic, The Critics. Uh, I, I filmed uh, one episode. It, it, it never got saw by nobody. Um, people said it was unfunny and terrible, and uh, no one would pick it up because we used actual clips of real movies. Because the first episode was called The Critics, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, because it had Star Wars and Indiana Jones movie clips well, that they were yelling after. I didn't know you had to get the rights for such things. I thought it was fair use. Well, as was, was, I understand it, you showed them watching the entirety of both movies. The, the first, uh, that one episode ran about uh, four and a half hours. Four and a half hours, you know, plus the extra 30 minutes at the end for the blooper reel. That's right, Trasher. That's right. So, uh, yeah. It, needless to say, uh, aside from my cousin uh, George Lucas Boyg, uh, no one else has really seen that. Well, no, that's a question. Why Why couldn't you just uh, get permission from your, your nephew, Stephen, to use the clips from Indiana Jones? Ah, my nephew. Ah, you know, it. Uh, we were not in the best times. So uh, they, he just did a movie called Bridge of Spies. They came out with one called Bridge of Lies. He, he called me up and said, Shecky. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm just a Spielberg. That's what I do. So Now, what was your version of War Horse? Uh, War Horse. Uh, I called it... Horse of War, there's a video game, God of War. I thought, oh, Horse of War. And it was just a horse. Uh, what One shot for 90 minutes, a horse in a stable. He was eating hay, and uh, you heard explosions going off. And you don't know if the explosions were in the horse's mind or your mind. Oh, so it's sort of a psychological thriller. Uh, horseological, I think, is what I called it. <laughs> this is a horseological film. Actually, I believe that's the name of your production company, Horse Illogical. Uh, my voice is very hoarse, yes, and uh, I'm about to take a logical in the toilet, if you know what I'm saying. I so. totally understand. Well, thanks for joining us and sharing your wisdom, Shecky. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, thanks, uh, Shecky Spielboyg. Uh, maybe if people like you, you might come back. Um, so, yeah, uh, again, Shermometer critiquing the critic. Um, we'll be doing episodes uh, every week unless one of us gets sick or there's travel, but we'll, we, we'll stick to that best we can. We'll try to double gonna up be... if we can, maybe. Yeah, yeah, right. It's going to be about uh, 33 episodes or so all together. And um, we'll have normal episodes that cover the critic uh, episode by episode and then special episodes once a month that focus on a special topic like an actor or a topic like film criticism online and what have you. It'll um, be artisanal. That's right. Uh, again, Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast, And follow us on Twitter at CriticPodcast. Send us your thoughts on the show. Um, not just this podcast, but the critic itself, the show we're allegedly talking about. So for Shermometer, Critique the Critic, this is Matt. And this is William. Saying. The critic is a mystery. No one knows what he thinks. Except for Jay Sherman, who always says. It stinks. Ha <laughs> ha!